There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Blair Howell and Colin Andrews. That's me and Blair. Thanks for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me back. We're carrying on with our retirement mini-series. Last week, Greg and I discussed lifestyle planning, as in what kind of life do you want to live during retirement? Something you and I have talked about, about how retirement is a transition and not a destination. It's true. It's very important. And the Japanese refer to retirement as your second life, a time to be the best you and focus on things that bring you happiness or inner peace. That sounds pretty cool. That's what you're looking forward to, isn't it? Well, exactly. So today we're going to talk about the tools to fund that period of inner peace because we've spent the last couple episodes talking about the lifestyle portion, but today we're going to talk about how to fund it. And we brought you on the show because you're our subject matter expert on financial planning within the CM group. And it's great to have that resource and have you back on the show. So today we're going to get into the various methods of planning for funding retirement, different layers of income. We're going to talk about Canada Pension Plan, Old Age Security, various defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, strategies for different registered accounts, and even the sequence of withdrawal and something called sequential risk. Now to get us started, Blair, I'm going to play us a little song. Seems like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Isn't that a fair statement? I think for some people, yeah, it sometimes has the opposite effects of what they intend. (laughs) Kind of like a young Justin Bieber having $100 million and people being upset with him for racing his Lamborghini or Ferrari down the street. I'd like to get mad, but I'm trying to think at 20, if somebody gave me that type of money, I couldn't even imagine what stupid things I would Oh, you do the same thing. Yeah. the same thing. Oh, yeah. So listen, let's get into it. So the difference between retirement planning and retirement funding. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the different stages of income requirements and spending requirements. Early years is travel, possibly later years is focused on more like estate planning. So according to an article in Investopedia, just in December of 2020, they identified four financial stages of retirement. The first one being pre-retirement, and this would be ages 50 to 62 a category that you and I are almost in, by the way. Getting close. The second being early period of retirement, ages 62 to 70. The third being middle retirement, ages 70 to 80. And the fourth being late retirement, which is 80 plus. So we are middle age and we're talking about our middle retirement years later. I mean, those numbers, I mean, they're going to be different for everybody, but we look at Probably the most important period there, which we'll probably focus on, is that early retirement, that first step, which you know, I have a big highlight through. Yeah, there you go. So I want to talk a little bit about the various methods or planning to funding each type of retirement. There's no one right answer. And I know you're going to use two words later in the show, and they are, it depends. My favorite saying. The first one I want to talk about is called the 4% rule. 
Now, this used to be called the 5% rule prior to the global credit crisis of 2008, but it's been altered to the 4% rule. And what it is, is it's a 4% withdrawal rate. So this is something that was worked on by Russell Investments. Blair, I got to ask you, are we promoting Russell Investments? No. No, this is just work that they did. Well, yeah, you want to take the best research. Exactly. So they previously stated that $1 of retirement income is derived from every $20 of retirement savings. That would be 5%. Now, as I mentioned, they've altered that to $1 of income being derived from every $25 of savings. It's just simple math. So if you need, if you've done your planning, your retirement planning, your financial plan, and it says you need $75,000 a year, just picking a number, to fund your retirement expenses, then you just need to multiply 75000 times $25, which is $1.875 million. So it's just a simple tool and simple calculation that would require you to know how much money retirement is going to cost you. But what it doesn't talk about is it doesn't talk about depleting the assets or selling the assets off. So I think in this example, it's saying that it would kind of go on forever. Well, yeah. And a lot of that Russell research comes from pension studies. And also this is based on you're saving your own money. We'll kind of talk about other sources that will come into play. Exactly. So the second one I want to talk about is funded ratio or funded ratio status. And this is something that somebody who we had on the show, Tim Noonan, previously at Russell Investments, spent a great deal of time working on funded ratio status for individuals. Funded ratio is used to calculate if a pension fund is fully funded or underfunded based on its current and future cash requirements. So Tim has been working on this for quite a while, and he likes to relate it to an individual rather than just to a pension plan. And he writes about it in his book called Someday Rich. He calculates it as total estimated assets divided by retirement savings goal. And that gives you a percentage. So if you've done a financial plan and you know that your total assets, that being savings, investments, real estate, whatever, was a million dollars, and your plan said you needed a million dollars in retirement savings, then your funded ratio would be 100%. So it's simple math. That's right. So because it is simple math, it doesn't necessarily factor in a couple things like inflation and tax liabilities. So even though at first it might appear that a 100% funded ratio is 100%, that might not actually be true. And just kind of jump in there too, that although this is kind of a rule of thumb, and I always go back to my it depends saying, the reality is this is actually a really nice estimate. If you're going to use one, it probably gets you a lot closer to what you will need than just the 70% of income, that kind of old. The old rule of thumb type of stuff is just old rules of thumb. But I agree with you that this is more accurate. I mean, it has to be because this is the same calculation that pensions use to fund their pension payments. Yeah. And and people who get their statements of if they have those defined benefits, will always have a funded ratio somewhere on the bottom of the sheet showing just for that particular pension. Exactly. So if the projected funded ratio is above 100%, I guess you have options. You have reduced your longevity risk. So that's the risk of outliving your money. You may have the option to retire earlier than you first expected. You may have the option to increase spending in retirement, which is always a fun conversation to have. And there's a potential for legacy assets. But if that projected funded ratio is below 100%, instead of options, I think you have choices, which (laughs) I'd rather have options than choices. Well, that's just it. I say to a lot of clients, I don't think anybody's ever got mad at us that they save too much money 
retirement. You know, I wish I would have spent more or not saved enough. You always want to have options. The choices you could have if it fell below 100% is you've increased your longevity risk. So in other words, you may outlive your money. You may need to save more. You may need to take more risk by adding more equities to your portfolio to try to get a higher expected rate of return, which has consequences to it, by the way. And you may need to lower your standard of living or you may need to work longer than you thought. So I just want to play another little song just because that's what I'm doing today. (laughs) It's kind of an oldie, but it's one that people will probably recognize if I can cue it up, right? Little Pink Floyd. Love Pink Floyd. Who doesn't like Pink Floyd? My kids don't know who Pink Floyd is, though. There you go. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. <laughs> I don't know how you do that in a f- calculating your funded ratio status, but I guess you could yeah. do it on paper. So Blair, why don't we get into the layers of income? This is important in terms of funding your, you know, as you've said, I've already talked about what your values are, what your retirement plans are. So kind of step 1B is, well, you got to pay for it. And so we look at different incomes coming in. So for years, most of us are saving and we're probably saving in a variety of buckets. So we're putting money into an RSP. Some of us have work pensions that's just coming off the paycheck. You're going to have off your paycheck as well. You're paying into Canadian pension plan. And for those fortunate enough to kind of have extra money, you may be putting money into a tax-free savings account or non-registered. So there's a variety of options that you're probably paying into these different buckets. So when we kind of look at it, if you plan properly kind of going that pre-retirement and you're putting money into the proper buckets, you're most likely going to hit your goal. You know, we're, we're kind of getting that funded ratio of 110%. We've kind of hit where we want to be, but now we want to go to the point of we need to start taking money out of those buckets. And Isn't that a scary thing for people though? Like they've spent all their time working to save, 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 and then you get to turn around and start taking the money out. And that's why at the start, we kind of said that first few years of retirement is so important because it is stressful. People look forward to retirement. It's always this, when we say it's a transition rather than a destination, you can't look at it as a big holiday. You know, it's going to be a big life change. So it is a little scary that suddenly, well, I need to take my Canadian pension plan right away and I need to do this and should I spend this much? And a little planning is going to take away that anxiety. So going through and taking a look at, okay, I have all these these different savings avenues. Where do I start taking money? And I think what I find is right away, as soon as retirement hits, you talk to to people who haven't done the planning ahead of time and they're immediately going to apply for Canadian pension plan. I've already put my application in. It's like, well, let's talk about that. Or I start taking my pension right away. Well, let's talk about that. Do you need to? And that's where we come from layering is really that not only what buckets we're going to take money from first, but when to take them Mm because each one have some consequences. So when we talk about layering, you have all these buckets. And if you're fortunate to have four or five different, your RSP and your maybe a defined, ideally a defined benefit, but a defined contribution pension through work. 
You might have work RSPs. You have a Canadian pension plan that you may have access to. You may have old age security, old age security. And so I think it's important to kind of talk about maybe how we view them. So if we were to sit down with our clients of how we kind of present and, and really how I look and you look at these different instruments. So we've kind of talked about fixed versus variable. Now you're not talking about mortgages. You're talking about fixed versus variable layers of income. That's right. And we did talk about kind of budgeting as well. That difference between a fixed, what's fixed income or fixed cost in your budget. So it's the same idea. Fixed layers of income. And I sometimes refer to it as a kind of flexibility. One might be more flexible than another. So fixed would be almost pretty much an annuity. So your Canadian pension plan, your old age security, if you have a defined benefit pension plan, those are essentially annuities. They provide a lot of certainty to you. You're going to get a set amount and you're going to get it for life. And so it kind of, that can pay for the necessities of life, but there is options in those as well. Take the Canadian pension plan, for example. So we usually say retirement is 65, but we all know we can take your Canadian pension plan early. So you retire early and you can take it as early as age 60, but you may not get the full amount. Most Canadians don't because there's a long formula in terms of getting the absolute full amount of Canadian pension plan. Pretty much you have to, as soon as you hit 18, you had to be working full time for... Isn't it like 40 years? Yeah. So it's for those who've worked for 34, you're going to get a substantial amount, but you may not get your full amount. So But if you take it early, I think the formula is like 0.6% every month before your 65th birthday goes off. So if you take it at age 60 instead of 65, you're going to lose 36% of your annuity on the opposite end. Annually. Annually. And if you go the opposite way and you wait till age 70, you're going to get a bonus of 36%. Annually. Annually. That's a pretty good bump, but... Again, it depends on the person. And that can be true to some extent with the old age security where you can't take it early, but you can defer it to age 70 and you can increase that old age security by 36%. And you notice for those who have defined benefits, there are options to have early pensions, sometimes a deferred pension to kind of get more. So you want to be aware of what options because with those annuities, for the most part, once you take it, that's it. You can go on the CRA website and calculate your CPP and OAS benefits, right? Yeah. So you can go in and get a look. We encourage clients to do it and just see what those benefits look like. And for some, it doesn't change too much if you take it a year earlier, or, but for some, it may be a bigger deal. But yeah, that's why it's really important to kind of know your options in those. Because like I said, I think the thing to keep in mind is a couple things. A, Once you've set them, they're now set for essentially the rest of your life. There will be some inflation adjustments and they may change to some extent, but with annuities, there's no capital. If there's an emergency or you need more money, really you're just, here's your monthly income, that's it. So there's no liquidity to it. Exactly. No flexibility. Which actually, let's just get into that a little bit because people that have defined benefit pension plans, you mentioned that's an annuity, but lots of times they have the option of converting those to Another form. It can move into a lira. Is that right? You can. When you do that, you can take that freedom. So you're giving up certainty for freedom to some extent. And if you decide that, you know what, I want the freedom of my defined benefit, 
it gets a little bit complicated because there is a formula of how much you can commute from your defined benefit to a lira tax-free. And then there's tax consequences after that, that if you have RSP room, you can add to it. But Sounds so, very complex. It is. And for some people, it makes lots of sense, especially, and we were going to talk when you go into variables, is when you move it from that, I'm going to rely on government Canada to pay my pension for the rest of my life. There's an appeal to that. At the same time, you give up a lot of your if something that's important to you is future estate planning, leaving money for kids, if there's health problems where you think, I don't think I'm going to make it to age 75, then maybe it makes sense to commute that pension and having that funds that you can do with what you want. Just to summarize here for myself and for anybody listening. So the fixed income options, they're fixed, of course. There is an option to convert a defined benefit pension plan to a variable option, but let's get into maybe what the other variable layers would be. An obvious one is your RSP, which will be converted to a RIF, so a registered retirement income fund. So in some extent, it turns into there will be some restrictions. So we go kind of from very flexible to less flexible. So a RIF would kind of be a little bit more on the flexible side, where at age 72, you've converted from an RSP to a RIF, and now there's a set amount you have to take out every year. With that, there is obviously some restrictions, but you can access the capital in it if you want to. There'll be tax consequences, but if there's an emergency or for some reason you really need more money, it gives you that flexibility to take that money out of the RIF. So again, it goes into that flexibility. And then kind of on that same point on the defined benefit, the other part of that organization pension plans is a defined contribution, which is a bit of a, it's considered a work pension, but it really it's just kind of a group RSP, but there are pension restrictions on it. So you can't cash it out. You can't, but they're easily to commute them. You're essentially a defined benefit is your company, or if it's a government pension plan are running that. They're just paying you out an income. A defined contribution is you pick what you're saving. So you pick the investments. They're really just giving it to you. And then when you retire, it's up to you to run it. So there is minimum maximums you can take out. And I don't know how deeper <laughs> we want to go into this because- well, We could probably do a whole episode on the difference between defined contribution yeah. and defined benefit. Yeah. But yeah, I think, isn't it that kind of like historically all companies had defined benefit pension plans and then there was this loophole that was created where they were able to pass on- the onus of operating a pension plan to the employees. And it was marketed as giving those employees this great benefit of now they have the flexibility to do something with it. When in reality, it was just taking the future liability from the company and putting it onto the employees. Well, that's exactly it. Defined benefits are expensive to run and the risk and the onus of paying that pension is on the company. So if that investment, their pension managers are mismanaging the funds, well, the company's got to make it up. You kind of understand why companies want to move to defined contribution, where really it's just part of your compensation. Hey, we put some money into this. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll do well with it. And yeah, other variables, tax-free savings accounts, which they're not new, new, but over the last 30 years are relatively new. And they're a great option for retirement. They give you a lot of flexibility where you put money in. There's no tax deferral, but anything growing in it is tax-free and you take the money out tax-free. So it's a great option for 
I don't think it would be considered kind of that layer of income, but it's there for maybe unforeseen expenses. If you want to gift money, putting access money from your retirement, if you have it into it. And then the non-registered portion is probably that and the tax-free would be your most flexible options where there are some tax consequences with it, but really there's, if you don't want to sell anything, you don't have to Yeah, kind of keep it and go on. So with all of those different options, and some people may only have one or two of these options, others, quite a few of our clients will have five or six of these different options. It's really going in and finding a balance of when do I take my pension? Does it make sense to spend some of my most flexible money first and wait for those bigger annuities to build up? But each one, and it also depends, there is some pension splitting with spouses that you can do, and there are some benefits that go along with pensions that you got to consider. So there's, I could talk for hours. I'm sure people are already (laughs) closing their eyes on this stuff. So there's a lot of things we look at. Essentially, You want to know your options. You want to know what the best balance is of having an income that will pay for the retirement you've planned out. And really the fixed incomes will supply a base is how we usually look at it. And then making sure you're positioned for emergencies or estate planning, passing money on to family. If those are the things that are really important to you, then maybe those other assets are things you want to keep the non-register, the tax-free, something that you can pass on because really like something like the old age security, there are no benefits. When, well, when you, you die, it's over. When you end, it ends. Yeah. <laughs> so this Canadian pension plan does have some spousal benefits, but there's no money going to a state and that goes the same with defined benefits. So you got to match it up with your retirement plan and what your values are and then finding that balance of when to take things out. Well, and so all I hear when you say all of that is if you don't have a financial plan, understanding your layers of income and how it's going to compute for you in your own funded ratio status or whatever is almost impossible. Well, it's, you're going by luck. Like you're just picking a number, but you need to understand where each portion of that number is coming from. So I know we started the segment by saying we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of funding retirement. We're not going to be able to get into all the nuts and bolts of it. I think the key that I'm hearing you talk about is just, it just really requires a lot of work on the planning piece first. Well, yeah. And we deal with that every day. How many clients that we deal with and we do planning for are, well, this is exactly the same as the other person because it's not. Everybody's going to have different layers, different income streams. Some are worried about giving money to family. Others are more worried about just themselves. So we could probably spend three or four hours talking about the different strategies on what's best for clients, but there's, there's so no many way we're doing a four hour podcast episode yeah. though. <laughs> break for lunch, break for dinner. <laughs> yeah. What about tax consequences? That's a great question. So whereas your salary and for a lot of people, your tax comes off your salary for the most part. And sometimes you get a tax refund. When you go into retirement, that's something really to consider because now you're paying the tax yourself for the most part. For some riffs, you can't withhold some tax, but really now you really got to think, well, I'm going to get $70,000 a year from my income, or I'm going to get 150000 Well, that's always before tax. You want to be aware of, well, if I need 70000 to live off of, well, I got to consider that I'm going to need to take more out to pay the tax on 
those because Canadian pension plan is taxable. Your pensions are taxable. RIF income is taxable, especially if you need to take large sums of money out of your RSPs. And then with that as well, you have your old age security, which starts getting clawed back at a certain income. Isn't that at $77,000 or something like that? It starts getting clawed back? Yeah. So the every dollar you have over that, there's a percentage where it starts getting clawed back. I think it's like 136 or... Well, actually, I have the number here just because I looked it up. 129260 So if you make more than $129,260, your OAS gets clawed back 100%. Now, what I will say, though, is when I've had people complain about this in the past, I kind of say to them, this is a good thing. If you're making more than $129,000 a year in retirement, that's not such a bad place to be in. You've done well. Life is good. You've probably had us planning for you and you've saved more than you need. And I'm sure three quarters of Canadians would love to have that problem. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So again, that layering tax consequences are something we really look into because again, it eats away at your savings. Well, and actually with that, You mentioned Canada Pension Plan, of course, and you have the flexibility of taking it early or late or on time. So I looked at what's the maximum you can get out of your Canada Pension Plan at age 65, and it's like $1,203 a month. But then I looked at, well, what's the average that people get? On average, it's like $689 a month. That sort of reinforces your point about there's a complex calculation and options that people have created. Those are things you got to keep in mind, kind of, well, I'll be protected from, I got the government pension plan. In a city that we live in, even in an economic downturn, that's not a lot of money a month, 600 and some dollars. So you want to make sure that if you have the ability and you need that Canadian pension plan, maybe you have to work a little longer to get maybe that bigger annuity. And another thing in taxation is inflation, which is something we haven't really talked about in a while. We hear the stories of the 1980s, but 10 years ago in Calgary, in our little bubble here of Alberta, we were going through a pretty big boom. And both of us know costs went through the roof in this part of the world. And I think the average, I think it was around 2010, 2011, Canada had an inflation rate of just around that 3% Bank of Canada. But what was it in Alberta? It was something like 6 or 7%. And if you're a fixed income that maybe is based on the Canadian inflation, it can really play havoc on your savings. So again, having that plan, having those buffers, being at 110% rather than just 100% of the fund at ratio is so important. Well, that's a good point. Now, also on that layering aspect, I want to talk about, just as an example, let's say you had a couple. So each of those people are getting that average CPP of, call it $700 a month. So that's $1,400 a month. Plus, they're each getting OAS, which is $618 a month at maximum. So that's another $1,200. So you got, what's that, $2,600 a month, which is just a little over $30,000 a year of just a basic income. So, I mean, if you are in a couple, and there are some, if one of the couple passes away, so your spouse passes away, there are part of that money. If it was set up properly, you can have some benefits, but that income is going to go down substantially. And it's a larger part of the picture, but you're going to be taxed separately, which kind of goes into another point that you won't spend a lot of time in, but it is that income splitting, which you can do with pension. Pensions, you can split up to 50% of your pension with a spouse and you reset it every year. So it's not written in stone. And 
King Pension Plan is no different where you can split that income to some extent to kind of lower your taxes. So you want to kind of get ahead of it so you're not relying on Canadian Pension Plan or old age security. You want to make sure you have it. But it does make up an important part of your retirement savings. And it does for a lot of retirees, just that basic income every month is paying for utilities and for costs. And then they can kind of determine on the more flexible parts of their income of how they want to spend it. Exactly. Well, look, I mean, 30,000, is nothing wrong with getting $30,000 a year. So the other layers you talked about, of course, were the registered accounts, the TFSA, maybe also get into what other options would people have for layers? What could they do with their assets or anything like that? Are you talking kind of non-registered or? Well, I'm thinking even there's people that say, well, a house isn't a good retirement plan. And we talked about this the other day. I have a problem with that because a house can actually create some retirement income. Not income as in it like pays you to live there, but it is an asset you can sell. I've seen it with so many clients and recommendations where I don't think you should use it as a cash cow to fund your retirement. There would have to be kind of extraordinary measures or a reason to do that. But what it is, is you've now invested in this home and you're always going to have to live somewhere. But I always, we've seen it time and time again, you sell the family home kids have moved out, your empty nesters, and you downsize, but you still have this asset and you want to kind of keep the value close to what it's being. So you downsize, but you can put that money into retirement funding to some extent, but now you're getting to the point where, you know what, it's even our downsized place is getting a little too much. You may want to think about assisted living, but instead of focusing on, well, is my pension going to pay for an assisted living property or home or do I have enough? Well, you do. You have this downsized home or even your family home that you can sell. And now that funds kind of the later stages in life and that living. And you also have the opportunity, especially with recent events with COVID, more and more people are talking about, I want to stay in my home. My family wants me here, but we need in-home care. And that would be one of the few exceptions where I'd say, well, now it makes sense to kind of use your home to fund retirement because you're paying for you to stay in there. But to kind of live on an assistant. And again, it, it always depends on the individual. It has to be included in your retirement plan because it's probably the biggest asset you own. Well, it's definitely the biggest purchase people usually make. Real estate does grow or it's expected rate of return is lower than the stock market, but it definitely is usually the largest single item that people purchase. So maybe let's just wrap up this section on going back to those four stages of retirement. That's the pre-retirement, early period, middle retirement, and late retirement. And maybe just talk about the difference in spending rates during those periods. I know I'm giving you an ad lib here, but. Well, I mean, pre-retirement, you pretty much know what your costs are. You're working, you're spending money, it's kind of your life. So what changes when you hit kind of retirement? Well, I mean, that's why it's important to maybe have a plan to kind of figure out what you're going to be doing. There may be a few vacations coming up that, you normally wouldn't take, but essentially you don't change that much when you go into retirement. You're still the same person. So the spending rates are probably going to be not too much different outside of maybe a few larger. So this is pre-retirement to early retirement. Early retirement. It's a transition. It's not like you, okay, I'm retired. I'm a different person. If you enjoy going for coffee in the morning, chances are you're probably going to still go for coffee in the morning. If you're out in the golf course, you may do a little more golfing. And you've probably budgeted that in, but in terms of utilities and day-to-day expenses and that, 
probably not a lot has changed, but it's important because some things will change, those big capital expenses. And that first four to five years in retirement, you are trying to figure out what life is going to be like. Am I sleeping in? Am I working? Am I spending more? Why am I spending more? And so we can sit and plan, but there is going to be adjustment. And again, that's why you want that buffer. But what we really don't want is missteps in those first four. You're just like, I'm spending it all. We're traveling the world. It's like, well, you didn't quite budget to travel the world. So, and then by the middle retirement, you've got it figured out. You're kind of in that stage of life where you, for the most part, you know what you're going to spend, you know what you like, you know who you are ideally in an ideal retirement. This is what we enjoy doing, but there are the unexpected expenses. Health comes an issue. We talked about assisted living 30 years into retirement or even 20 years. That's a whole lifetime of things that are going to change. So, but by that time, you just kind of have a feeling of what life's going to lurk out. And then kind of late retirement again. I think when I first got in the business, we always talked about that middle to late retirement is, well, you're kind of in the home. But we have clients who are in their 80s who are traveling to Africa when you could travel, who are healthier and living longer. And then also health costs are going up. I don't think it kind of all of a sudden income levels just shoot down. I just think it's spent on different things. Let's talk a little bit about the sequence of investment asset accounts and sequential risk, because in the layers of income discussion, there's another part of it. And that is that from an investment perspective, I often run into people, and I talked about this on our last episode where my neighbor, when we were talking about retirement, all of a sudden just started talking about the stocks that he owns, which I couldn't understand what it had to do with his retirement planning, but that's what he wanted to talk about. I was thinking about that guy, and if he was invested 100% in, I don't know, dividend-paying Canadian stocks like a lot of people are, what happens when you go through a global pandemic and a global economic shutdown? You still have to draw money from your investments to pay for your life. I mean, you've got as part of one of those layers. So what do people do? Yeah, well, I mean, you don't have to take those missteps. There's no need for major setbacks if you have a diversified portfolio. And we stress that so often. But you and I both were in the industry during the global credit crisis. Which oh, is, I hate talking about that one. I'll bring it up because it's an extreme example, but it could happen again and people should be prepared. I think people... I've noticed a change where that fear of the global credit crisis, it almost happened a couple of years ago where that fear started dissipating. People are forgetting about it. But at the end of the day, how many companies, we won't mention names, that were considered blue chip dividend paying companies that you could just, price is always going to go up or stay stable and you're always going to get your dividend. And one of them in Canada, it had to go in. They had so much financial problems and this was kind of the blue chip Canadian company, they had to cut their dividend by 60%. And what happens when you cut your dividend by 60%? Well, the stock price dropped, I think it's on like 82%. So now you have an asset that you are no longer getting the income you required from it and is worth a fraction of what you paid for it. So you can't really sell it to pay for everything. And now you have that sequential whisk where now you're selling things that you don't want to sell, but you have to to pay for this. So relying on a single strategy and not being diversified. Cause at the same time, you know, you saw fixed income start going up substantially. And imagine if instead of a hundred percent Canadian equity portfolio, you had 30% in bonds that were going up five, 6%. Boy, you know what? I'm not going to touch those stocks, but I'm going to start taking things out of other areas that weren't hurt quite as badly. And 
again, it's going and it's not like it was new. The idea of asset allocation and diversification has been around for quite a while, but on good times, people start, well, good times will last forever. But people start in the wrong point, the investment point. What we've been talking about the last couple episodes was start with the lifestyle you want to create. And with this episode, now figure out how you're going to fund it. And the next step, or maybe next steps later on, is actually the investment piece. Exactly. And so, because bumps in the night, as I say, or bumps in the road happen, there's no way that two years ago, somebody who was looking at retiring in 2020 said, well, with the upcoming global pandemic and economic shutdown, I should have more invested in this area to make up for a shortfall of income. And not to harp on it, but we've been in the industry long enough that there's always something. It may not be a global pandemic, but it's a global credit crisis, or it's an energy collapse in oil prices, or it's tech companies. Like There's always something. There will be something else coming up. So to kind of think, well, there's really... Only a couple strategies that we know will work for everything. I think Abba saying about this. Money, money, money. Must be funny. I always need money. <laughs> You're right, because as much as this was a, hopefully a one-off in our lifetimes, this global pandemic, but there will be other crises in the future. Of and course there will, yeah. So as long as you've got the layers of income figured out, you can plan to be okay during them. That's the whole point is to know you're okay. Here's the plan. Here's what we are expecting that there will be something else coming up, but you're going to be okay. Now, Blair, last couple episodes, we've been advising people of various books to look at if they're looking at retirement or they're in retirement or they want to do some reading about it. Now, there's a book that you mentioned to me a while ago, and I mentioned it on our last show, but what was that book that you talked about by Daryl Diamond? Yeah, it's called Your Retirement Income Blueprint. So yeah, it's kind of a bit of a how-to book. So I came across Daryl a number of years ago and I found it really an interesting book. I think it gets updated from time to time, but really it just talks about exactly what we just talked about in terms of not the retirement plan, but more the retirement funding in terms of how you layer your income, flexibility versus non-flexible assets. So yeah, for anybody who's interested in that, I, I recommend it. It's a great read. Awesome. Any last parting comments before we wrap it up for today? I don't think so. Hopefully I didn't bore anybody too bad <laughs> with all this stuff, but. <laughs> hey, well, we get it. Like retirement planning isn't the, I don't know, the most exciting thing to talk about, but it is a necessity. Well, it is. And it's funny because I love talking about it. And I know as a group, we get together and for us, it's exciting. Did you hear about this? Well, what about doing that? And we're really engaged, but I know my wife is maybe not quite as engaged when I start talking about it, and, but it is incredibly important. And really, that's what we're here for is to help people out. Exactly. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up for today. So next time, we are going to carry on and we'll probably wrap up our retirement mini series. So hopefully you'll join us then. And Blair, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast.
The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2020.